Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we are having Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk, live today from Madison, Wisconsin, with a live studio audience. This is absolutely thrilling. We're so glad to be here. We're at Door Creek Church, uh, and it's a beautiful church, and we are uh, very glad to be here. The power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. Now, with the live studio audience, we will figure out who answers the best questions today. Oh, wow. And <laughs> the winner will go home with this lovely houseplant. There you go. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm allowed to give that away or not, but I just did. <laughs> we get points today? Uh, yeah, well, you got a live studio okay. audience evaluating right. you, so just know that uh, that's the way that works. <laughs> now... Text your questions over anytime you like, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Now, let's get the uh, questions started. Today, I wanted to start by talking about hope and assurance, two things I can never quite get enough of. And because we have recently added some stations into the network, uh, we are now in Missouri or Missouri. I'm not sure how to pronounce that correctly, but... uh, Many people are getting to know us for the first time. So I would love you, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, to give us a little of your story of how you came to faith in Jesus. I grew up in uh, Lutheran Church. Uh, so did my wife, Jan, who's sitting in the back. We did not grow up in the same church, but we met each other in college. I always had a, a strong desire for Jesus. But did I personally know him? Well, not till I was about 22 or 3 years old. We were recently married, and her mother kept bugging us, Do you really know Jesus? And we kept saying, we go to church, isn't that enough? And she kept bugging us, and we went to a Doug Oldham concert. Maybe you remember Doug Oldham, the singer? He called people to faith, and I was compelled, and Jan was compelled, and we didn't know about each other for three weeks after it happened. I went home saying, Lord, I'll follow you. So did she. Three weeks later, we discovered that. And uh, then I was teaching high school at the time and going to go to Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara. I wanted to make motion pictures for a living. And that was the school of cinematography. And the best I can tell you is Jesus came into my car one night on the way home from football practice. And he said, Tom, you're going the wrong way and you're doing the wrong thing. Go my way and do what you want. And I've got lots of things planned. About five minutes afterward, I wondered, did I really hear that? (laughs) You know, is that really happening? So I walk in our apartment. Ten minutes later, Jan's on the floor cutting out a dress pattern. She looks up and she says, you're going in the ministry, aren't you? I said, how'd you know? She said, 10 minutes ago, Jesus was here. And he said, this is what you do the rest of your life. And that's what we've been doing for the past 48 years. Lovely. Great, great story, Tom Parrish. How about you, Jeff? Um, I didn't have a voice or a moment. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I had 
Christian parents. My mom is the one who always had us read verses at dinner time, and we went to church. Um, I remember in junior high at some point in time having a, a growing and active faith. By high school, I was at church three times a week. I was there for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I went to all the youth group stuff and studied my, my Bible. And I would say I had an active and growing faith. And then I went to college. And, you know, when you get to college, the, there's a lot of distractions in this world. Have you noticed that? And I got distracted by the things of this world. And I tell people I stuck God in my pocket for about the next six, seven, eight years. And it was a number of things. It was a, a friend inviting me to a Promise Keepers event. It was I finally got back into a Bible study, a study of John. I had my first child, uh, my little baby Jacob. There's nothing like holding a newborn child and saying, God, help me raise this kid, right? And I started seriously studying the Bible. And uh, I don't put God in my pocket anymore. Because the more you know him and the more you study his word, I, I just remember God leaping off the pages and being so real as you study his word. Mm. Um, Thank so, you, Jeff. Yeah. So is this like listening to the radio, or is this too three-dimensional for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, Jeff, I remember you were telling me at one point you were in a, like a youth group in high school, and the youth pastor said, so are you a hot Christian or are you a cold Christian? And, and, or lukewarm. Or lukewarm. And yeah. how did that go for you? So... I'll never forget it. He put up a scale on the on the board, hot, lukewarm, or cold, and he said, rate your faith. Rate your faith. Well, we're 20 young kids in Sunday school class. What do you think we all said? Nobody said, oh, I'm really hot for Jesus. And of course, you're not going to say, oh, I'm, I'm kind of cold on Jesus, because in everybody's mind, that means unsaved, right? So 20 kids all said lukewarm. Well, you know what passage he read next, right? You know, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And we all went, ah. And I think it's always taught this way that we think because we're lukewarm, we're on the fence somehow that Jesus is going to spit you out of his mouth. And it was when I started studying the word for myself that I realized, you know what? This whole passage, just really quick, this whole passage is not about a temperature scale of your faith. The whole passage starts with, I know your deeds. I wish you were either hot or cold, meaning hot is a good thing and cold is a good thing. And if you know the history of Laodicea, they had hot mineral spring water coming in through one aqueduct. They had cold, fresh spring water coming in as, uh, from another, from uh, Colossae. And both of those were useful. But if they mixed and became lukewarm, they were no longer useful for anything. I know your Deeds, Jesus said. Lukewarm in this passage, I figured out, are the unsaved, the unfruitful, the branch that's not connected to the vine. The hot and the cold are good. But because you're lukewarm, an unbeliever, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's what I believe that passage actually says. Thank you so much. All right, Tom Parrish, um, look in your direction on this next question. If you summarized your pastoral experience, what is the one thing about the gospel that you view as critical? 
I've been blessed. I've been doing this. How long have we been doing this, honey? 48 years that I've been pastoring? One of the things that really has touched me, and I'm very evangelical as a Lutheran. I mean, I, we have altar calls in our church. I call people to personal commitment to Jesus. I love working with atheists and agnostics and sharing the gospel with them and seeing them come to faith. But what I've discovered is this. In the church, most of our people, most of the kids who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and are saved, I'm not denying that they are saved, but they have no identity, they have no purpose, and they have no authority. They don't understand who they are in Jesus. And as a result, they go through life waiting for the end to come and to go be with Jesus, but not knowing the impact they're meant to have on this world. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done someday. No, no, yours doesn't say that, neither does mine. Right now, how's it going to get done? Well, we'd like to think the Spirit's just going to move, the clouds will open, it'll happen. Jesus said, here it is. I'm going to do it through you. You are my hands and feet. And so I've been working. I had a confirmation class several years ago. I had five girls in that class. Um, we kind of skipped the normal Lutheran catechism stuff, although we looked at the scriptures and we did a lot of memory and that kind of thing. But I kept harping away on this whole thing of identity like Peter talks about, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart by God. And then we went to 2 Corinthians 5, and that to me is so critical. It says, you are ministers of reconciliation. You are the ministers of, or you are the ambassadors of the gospel. So I kept working at that and working at that. Well, the year ended. I had, I had already retired. I had these girls. Um, and then I was they were getting a new pastor, so I said goodbye. They had the little party, and we walked out the door. A month later, one of the moms called me, of the confirmation girls, and said, can you come for dinner? I've never turned down dinner in my life. <laughs> and I said, yep, we'll be there. Went and had dinner with uh, her and her kids, her husband. Husband and the kids went outside for something, and then mom said, do you know what confirmation did to my daughter Sophia this year? I said, no. <laughs> Like, uh-oh, what did I do wrong? No. She said, I got a call from her public school teacher last week. The teacher was in shock and delighted because they asked all the kids, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And the teacher said to me, do you know what your daughter wrote on her sheet of paper in our public school? Mom goes, no. She wrote, I am an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She was 14 at the time. We ran into her not long ago. She's now 20-some years old. And you know what the first thing she said to me when she saw me? I am still an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my theory is, why isn't this happening in every church? And why wasn't I doing this earlier? Because if we don't know who we are, we don't have the power or the authority to do anything. So folks, you are the ambassadors of the gospel. You are the ministers of reconciliation. And you have Jesus' authority. And I want everybody to know that. Nicely done, Tom Parrish. I really, I really like hearing that. Oh, I would, do you guys make that noise at home when you're just listening? Because <laughs> yeah, I thought, that's really nice. It's really sweet. It felt good. Yeah, it yeah, did feel I good. Like it, yeah. It's like, oh, it's such feedback. It's lovely because we don't get that in the studio. Anyway, thank you for that. Uh, you're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. And if you have a question, 877-933-2484. That's the number, 877-933-2484. All right, here's a question. Uh, where was Jesus for three days between his death and his resurrection? Jeff Dorn, I'm looking your direction. Good question. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. 
So I, let's go to the thief on the cross for a second because he tells the thief on the cross when he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Um, by the way, the understanding of salvation through a simple line, remember me, cuts through a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology about salvation, right? Because this, this thief, he, he was never baptized. He didn't belong to the right church. He didn't give money to the poor. He didn't, you know, whatever. He didn't do any of that. He just said, remember me. A simple statement of faith. Even though they're both about to die, he, entr- he believed who this man was on the center cross and entrusted him to his eternal soul, even though they were both about to die. A picture of simple faith. But then, of course, Jesus says the response, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, where is paradise? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that he's not going to give Israel any more signs. They wouldn't believe him because of the signs anyway, most of them. And he says, I'll give you one more sign, and that's the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hades, this place called Hades in Scripture, is always described in the heart of the earth, in the earth below, in the center of the earth. That's why we point down when we think of Hades. But before the cross, think Luke 16 now, one side was a place of comfort, the bosom of Abraham. The other side was a place of torment. So when Lazarus and the rich man went to this place, Hades, there was two sides. There was a chasm in between. So there was no crossing from one side to the other. And that's where Jesus went for three days and three nights. Which side? Well, He was righteous. He was good. He would have been on the bosom of Abraham's side. Scripture then says that he sets the captives free. All those that were there, Lazarus, David, Isaiah, Elijah, Abraham, so on, were now up in heaven. Paradise is now up in heaven. So now when we as believers in Christ on this side of the cross pass away, where do we go today? We go immediately into the presence of the Lord. We know that because Paul says, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. Thank you for that, Jeff Redor. Now, I know recently you were in Israel with some friends. And when you were in Caesarea Philippi, mm-hmm. were you not by what they describe as the gates of Hades? It does. So we're talking It's a about, physical location. It is. In Caesarea Philippi, which is, is north of Capernaum, north of the Galilee area, up near Tel Dan and the Golan Heights, up in that north, far northern Israel, uh, there is a kind of a rock cliff uh, and then a cave. And there was a number of temples that had been built there. Herod built a temple. Even before that, there was temples. I think it was actually the god Pan that they uh, built temples to. But in this cave is kind of a pit, and there was a belief that that was a, a gate to the underworld, to the spiritual realm. So when Jesus is there with Peter, and he says, Peter, you are now Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, they were standing in front of the gates to Hades when he said that. And so, you know, you think about it. Jesus often used the physical things around him uh, in expressing spiritual truths, and that's one of the cool examples. That's awesome, Jeff. This is the best answers that will come early on. You know, they <laughs> <laughs> all go downhill. From yeah, there, yeah. Right? So just set your expectations accordingly. Okay. We're looking forward to that. Oh, good. <laughs> We're going to take our first break, and we'll come right back with lots more guide talk or guys who talk. I know you've got questions. Let me know. 
877-933-2484. We're at Door Creek Church today in Madison, Wisconsin, doing Guide Talk Live. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Welcome to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. I'm Bill Arnold with Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. We are in Madison, Wisconsin today. Guy Talk Live and we are thrilled to be here at Door Creek Church among friends and a lot of smiling faces. This makes us very happy. Thank you so much for being here. That's usually a, an applause break, but that's... <laughs> I feel like we're at a golf tournament. Nice putt. That was good. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, great questions coming in. If you have a question, text it over. I've got great questions here. I'm going to start with this. In Matthew 5.13, Tom, get that up on your mm-hmm. iPod there. It says... It talks about us being the salt of the earth. My brother says this isn't a good analogy because salt doesn't become less salty. How would you explain this to him? Great question. Anybody want to take uh, ownership in that question? Who is that? Yeah, okay. Well, all right. Who wants to go first? I'll jump in. Uh, if you go back to that culture in that day, and, and I think too often we want to evaluate the scriptures from the 21st century. Because what are we told in the 21st century about salt? Don't use it. It's not good for you. My mother died at age 99 years, 8 months, and ate more salt than any other woman (laughs) on the face of the earth. We've been, my wife and I have been to Bangladesh, Nepal, an area of India. What's interesting is the food is incredibly bland. I don't care how you eat it. You can only eat dalbat, which is rice with some lentils, and occasionally a dog, uh, which we've had. Uh, but salt makes all the difference in the world. Salt is also a preservative. Matter of fact, you can preserve meat through a hot summer with salt if you know what you're doing. Now, when the salt has lost its flavor or effectiveness, what did the people do with it? They threw it away. Jesus said, you're to permeate this society, my disciples, being my salt, bringing the flavor of the kingdom of God, because this world doesn't offer a flavor that's healthy. This, this world constantly wants to put us down. Uh, I have never seen so many young women that I've worked with in all my life that can look in the mirror and say I'm ugly because my friends are saying on TikTok that I'm ugly or stupid or whatever. So the flavor comes through the believers who say to people, Lisa, you have value. Lisa, you're important to the kingdom of God. You know, it doesn't matter how, you know, whether you're a Hollywood star or you're an average farmer or whatever it may be, you are representative of the Lord. And when people understand that. So I understand what the, the reader or the question is, but the bottom line is back in that day, that added flavor and that added power. And quite frankly, uh, 
we understand that today. If you like salt, you know how it changes things. But the problem is most Christians don't understand what it means to be salty for Jesus. And that means, and I teach my congregation all the time, wherever you go, you're a representative of Jesus. You take Jesus into the public arena. You take Jesus into the legislature. You take Jesus into the school system. There is no place under our Constitution, founded by our founding fathers or in the Word of God, that says, ah, Jesus doesn't belong there. No, we take him in anyway, and Christians who do that Mm -hmm. have a great flavor. Thank you, Tom. I like this applause, by the way. I know, and I like that. I'm getting used to this. I don't know if I'm not a chemist, so I don't, I don't really the question about whether or not salt loses or can't lose its saltiness. You know, we were talking first century salt here, so maybe in the first century it could lose its saltiness. But I think Tom, you you hit it right on because the next verse right after that is, "You are the light of the world." I think that metaphor is very clear. Yeah. Right? Light. I've discovered this in a dark room. You shine a light. Light overcomes darkness. And if you had, I've seen this done in a large stadium of people where they turn off all the lights. It's completely dark. You got 30,000 people in the dark and one person turns on one small light and everybody can see it. Yeah. And I think that's what God calls believers to be, light in this world. Great answer, Jeff. All right. 877-933-2484. If you want to text in a question, I would love to hear from you. There's a question I hear about kingdom now and replacement theology. Could you explain or at least give thoughts or something to that nature? Sure, I'm willing to jump in and get in trouble. (laughs) Why not? So the first one was uh, kingdom theology. Kingdom now. Kingdom now. All right. Um, Where the body of Jesus Christ is, the New Testament affirms that's where his kingdom is. Now, we're going to be with him forever. Now, are we talking about heaven? No, we're not talking about heaven. The kingdom is this place of rule. You know, you can't have a kingdom without a ruler. So Jesus comes and rules. How does he rule? He rules through his people. He rules through you and me as we help other people, as we talk to them, as we pray for them, as we witness to them. Replacement theology um, has been around for a couple hundred years now, saying that some say the church has replaced Israel. Here's the problem. Most of us don't go to Second Peter and read there where the exact words that were used for Israel are now used for the church. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God, set apart to do as well. My theory is this. I don't know what the Lord's ultimately going to do with Israel. But I know Israel without Jesus is lost. And I know the church without Jesus is lost. And so those who have Jesus are his kingdom. And that's what I've been trying to teach and preach for 50 years. So the idea of replacement theology, like you said, is that the church has replaced Israel. God is done with Israel. There is no future for Israel. Um, And it's interesting because both in places like Jeremiah 31, where it talks about a new covenant that God is going to make with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, that is repeated in Hebrews chapter 10, that same promise where he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Uh, On that day that I take away their sins, Romans 11 says that all Israel will be saved. I think when Christ returns to earth, one of the things that he does is he saves the remnant of Israel. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God promised Abraham, and that promise passed on to Isaac, that promise passed on to Jacob, that you and your descendants will possess this land forever. 
So unless you spiritualize that promise of God and we become the true descendants of Abraham and the true, you know, uh, Israel, uh, you have to spiritualize it because the promise is very clear. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would possess this land forever. And I think scripture points that Israel has a future salvation when they will look upon him who they have pierced and they will finally recognize their Messiah and they will enter into this kingdom. This kingdom, by the way, because kingdom now is related to this, this kingdom is yet future. Mm -hmm. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Open up a newspaper. If this is the kingdom of God, you know, where do we sign up for a different kingdom here? I mean, (laughs) the newspaper is full of bad news. When the kingdom come, God says there'll be peace on earth. Is there peace on earth yet? So this idea that we're in the kingdom now, Jesus did not say in Acts chapter 1 when he went up to heaven, I'm establishing the kingdom now. He says, no, you're going to receive power in the Holy Spirit when he comes. There's a future kingdom. And I think it's pretty obvious to most people that this ain't it. We're not there yet. But one day, he will come to establish his kingdom. So we have this idea, actually, it's kind of now but not yet. We are, as Tom was saying, we are participants of that kingdom right now. But there's a future, physical, literal kingdom on earth that Christ will usher in when he comes. Well, you guys are doing a great job. I, I wouldn't even know who to give the house plant to at this point. <laughs> well, there's a, there's It'd be a, a toss-up at this point. There's an interesting dichotomy here, and I agree with Jeff, but here's the problem we get into. When you look at the, the Lord's Prayer, how many of you prayed the Lord's Prayer in your church on Sunday? Anybody? Or maybe prayed at home? What do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth it is in heaven. In the Greek, it's in the present tense. It's not in the future tense. But I think what you're saying is true as well. I think the problem is not Jesus' will for the kingdom to come now. I think the biggest problem he's got is me and you. How much are we willing to bring the kingdom into this world as compared to playing it safe? And most Christians I run into today, and Lord knows I love them all. I mean, I've been called a Baptist Lutheran, so, you know, it's kind of fun. Charismatic, too. Here's the bottom line. Most Christians are waiting to get out of this world. They're waiting for the second coming. I'm all for the second coming. I wish the Lord had come today. But while we're here, we better infect our government and our schools and whatever. My wife is a principal in Minneapolis public schools for a number of years. The last three years, they tried to fire her every chance they could because she would not hide her faith in Jesus or stand for the gospel's message when she was principal over that school, which she had the authority to do. But I'll tell you, it was a tough three years. But she hung in there anyway, and I give her a lot of credit. Think about it. If every Christian did that, we wouldn't have the issues we have today in this world. That's being salt and light in this world. Exactly. So I think we're, I honestly believe we're on the same page here. I don't think there's a disagreement. It's just what are we called to be doing while he's bringing the kingdom or when he brings it in its totality? In the meantime, we better be building the fort in the proper sense. True, and we know we can advance the kingdom here right now. How? By preaching the gospel, having people believe they become participants in this kingdom, and that's how the gospel can advance right here, right now. All right, I love this question. If you could bring a voice from the past to join Guide Talk, who would you ask and why? I love this question, whoever gave this one. You answer this. No, no, no. I, I ask the questions on this show. <laughs> I, I would love C.S. Lewis. 
on the show. Wouldn't he be fun on, on Guy Talk, C.S. Lewis? Uh, yeah. He'd be wonderful. Yeah. So I'm selfish. I want Jesus. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's... <laughs> 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 All right, it's I want anybody. Jesus too. <laughs> C.S. Lewis would be good. No question. How about you, Jeff? Uh, my mind went right to Paul, actually. Okay, I thought someone like once lived... Um, well, like, Paul once lived. Well, I, I know. <laughs> okay, I have to go to break and reset because right now <laughs> I, I'm starting to feel sweaty and I don't like that. So I'm going to take a break. You're listening to Guy Talk and you have questions, send it over, 877-933-2484. We're live today in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church and boy, are we having fun. Be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. It's so glad to uh, be here today at Door Creek Church in Madison, Wisconsin. We're doing Guy Talk Live, and uh, we've got a beautiful, fantastic audience uh, with us today, and we're very glad to be here. And the questions are coming in like uh, crazy, which I love. 877-933-2484. Question I have now, Jeff, I'm already looking your direction. Uh, after the rapture, the people left on earth get a second chance to accept Jesus, and they get to see all the highly convincing proof that comes during the tribulation. Is it unfair that all the people that have died without Jesus in the past do not get this type of a second chance? They get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Um, We today have many convincing proofs, by the way. Uh, One being the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the grave again and appeared to many people. And and that is a testimony to, uh, uh, you know, his power. And it's a convincing proof. You know, Hebrews starts with, in the, God, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things. So the greatest sign, the greatest testimony of God of all is, is Christ coming. His son came and lived and died and rose again. So once the rapture occurs... It does not negate any sign that's already happened, nor does it negate the promise of Jesus who said, if you believe in me, I'll give you the Holy Spirit and he will be with you forever. That's true for every single person up until the moment that they pass away. Hmm. Look, I, can I share a story about how the Lord does this? Uh, I'm going to give you this one time, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize. I'll, I'll be brief. Okay. <laughs> when I was uh, newly out of uh, seminary and serving our first church, Jan and I lived about... Oh, 200 miles away from our family. And we were felt the need to go back to town and visit, and we did. And I had an aunt that lived across town, and her husband, Uncle Richard, um, he was a scoundrel, an absolute scoundrel. During Prohibition, he ran bootleg liquor across Lake Erie when it was frozen. He had numerous mistresses. He ran around all the time. Two of his kids, one wound up in prison, and the other one should have, but didn't. She unfortunately died before the verdict came in, and it's very sad. And so he was nothing but a pain in the neck, would never go to church, would never affirm anything. 
I felt like we had to go over and talk to him. I said, thanks, Lord. Here I am, like 28 years old. What do I know? So we go over, and the first thing my aunt does to Jan is she says, let me show you my big garden. And I thought, okay, Lord, you're ganging up on me. I can see this. So I'm left alone with Uncle Richard. He had throat cancer. He had been a cigar smoker all his life. He couldn't hardly breathe, couldn't hardly talk. He's sitting in a chair, and I said to him, Uncle Richard, I've known you all my life. Are you ready to meet Jesus? And he looked at me, and his eyes got real wide, and he goes, no. And I said, would you like to? He said, I can't. He'll never forgive me for what I've done. I said, I know you've been a scoundrel. I know you ran around on my aunt. I know you were not good with your kids. But I'll tell you this right now. Jesus says yes, and he has his hand outstretched. We talked for about 15 minutes. At the end of 15 minutes, he got on his knees with me. Wow. Tears running down his face. I led him in a prayer of repentance and faith. That day ended. Six months later, he died. For the next 10 years after he died, every time we saw my Aunt Florin, she would grab me, literally, and say, do you realize after you talked with Uncle Richard, the last six months of our 62-year marriage was the best we ever had? There is always hope. Never give up on somebody. Never burn a bridge. The doors are there, and we just have to wait for the door to open. And that's what I believe this is all about. Yeah, right up until the moment of death, it's pointed for man once to die and then face judgment. So up until that point, before the rapture, after the rapture, whenever, uh, God wishes none to perish. That is his heart up into the moment. And by the way, we know that many, many, many people come to faith during the tribulation period because we actually see a great multitude in heaven that no one would count. And John asked the angel, where do they come from? And he says, they come out of the great tribulation. So we know many people are going to be saved during the great tribulation. And the parable of the worker, remember the workers that some started very first thing in the morning, and then they got more later on, and then more, and then more, and more. And he pays the last one first, and the last ones get a denarius. Well, that was what he promised the early workers. And then he pays the next one, and they all start complaining because they figured, well, I'm going to get more. And he goes, no, didn't you say that you'd work for a denarius? Now, there's a lot of lessons here probably in terms of fairness and how we view others and so on. But I think one of the primary understandings is the award is the same whether you accept Christ early in your life or the last day of your life. You know, I'm always amazed how people will say, you know, people like you and Bill and Jeff are really going to get wonderful crowns in heaven. Quite frankly, I could care less about all the crowns. No, I'm going to get a plant over here. You got a plant. I just want to get in the door and be there (laughs) eternally because that's all that ultimately matters. Yeah. I'm curious because I have a live audience. So uh, how many have been praying for someone's salvation here for more than 20 years? Raise your hand. If you've been wow. praying for someone for more than 20 years for their faith, for their salvation, that's beautiful. And so thank you for continuing to do that and being persistent and caring about them. Because there's got to be times when you start to feel like, oh, what's the point, right? But never, ever, ever give up. Never. And I think your story about Uncle Richard is a great one. So thank you for that. All right. Uh, questioned, uh, which is it? Punishment for sins passed down to the third and fourth generation out of Numbers 14? Or... Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103. Which one is it? Both. And what I mean by both is this. And I've worked with a lot of families. I probably did more counseling than I ever should have in my ministry, but I had a lot of people. We had a medical clinic for 10 years with our church. So I got a lot of counseling in with people, and and that continued. Here's the bottom line. If, like my Uncle Richard, you're in a family system where the father never repents, 
and the mother or what their sins, I see it showing up in the kids. If the kids never receive Jesus, it goes down to their kids. We've got a friend right now who is in, her son just committed suicide at age 29. That is the fourth generation of suicides in her immediate family, one each generation, and it's continuing. And she wants to say it's just mental illness. I'm saying, "Uh uh-uh, it goes right back to this kind of stuff. How does that get broken? What was the other verse, Bill, from the Psalms, where Uh, as far as the east from the west? uh, Psalm 103. Yeah, Psalm 103. When you repent, when the dad, the mom, the grandma, the grandpa, get on their knees and repent, you break that cycle. And now your kids have a chance to not be governed by that, but to literally call upon the Lord themselves. Now they can start the cycle all over again. And we've seen that. But in most cases where mom and dad repent and go in front of their kids, and I urge you to do this as grandmas, grandpas, moms and dads, when you're wrong, go to your kids and say, you know, Scott, I sinned against you and against the Lord Jesus. Please forgive me. When a parent or grandparent can do that, you know who gets the glory? Jesus does. Because we're not the Savior. He is. And you can break that cycle. I I love Psalm 103. Anyone in the room besides me? Memorize Psalm 103? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, it's a great psalm. Uh, it's one of my favorites, and I encourage you to spend time memorizing it because it it's spectacular. All right, uh, here's a question. Can you explain casting lots? It seems like gambling or just leaving big decisions up to a coin toss, but it's in the New Testament. They even chose an apostle that way. Or at least it appears they had chose Apostle that way. So I've got an, a theory on this. And we do see casting lots in the Old Testament. And it appears to be uh, sanctioned by the Lord, anyway, that this is how you can determine the Lord's will. But once the New Testament comes along and, and the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, I think God has a different way to talk to his people. And that's through the Spirit of God that sure. now dwells within us. And yet the Apostles... Uh, decide that they're going to replace Judas with the casting of lots. And who do they pick? Who does the lot cast to? Matthias. But do we ever hear about Matthias ever again in the rest of the New Testament? And the answer is no. He doesn't write anything. We never hear from him again or anything. But who is the self-proclaimed apostle who begins almost every single letter he writes as an apostle of Jesus Christ and God the Father? Paul. You answered it right there. Paul. I actually think Paul was the actual replacement uh, of the apostle and not Matthias. You you agree too. I just got another thumbs up here. And it's it's interesting. Now, because Paul is self-proclaimed, I mean, I think that's a pretty big clue. Back to casting of lots. I don't, then we never see lots again in the rest of the New Testament, by the way. So I don't, uh, putting out fleeces, putting out challenges to God, leaving it to chance. You know, one way we don't study our Bible or set our theologies, and I've seen some do it, and open up the Bible and close their eyes and say, okay, this is my verse for today right now. No, I don't think we, we do it that way. So we have the Spirit of God. He still talks to his people through his Spirit today. Amen? But let me tell you, as a pastor, after going to over 300 council meetings, 300 congregational meetings in my life. You're ready to cast I'm lots. I'm ready to cast lots. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you very much for that. All right. Uh, some churches say that you can pick a day to be your Sabbath. I want to continue following the commandments and keeping Saturday as the Sabbath. What is your opinion about 
the other two comments being a Sunday or any day. Can you pick any day to be your Sabbath? Where does Paul talk about, you know, each person could set apart whatever day that they consider sacred? Is it Romans 13? I I think it's a a toss-up. If you're convicted, it's Saturday. And that's, by the way, that's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. It's not the day, it's the, the two. If you're convicted, do it, by all means. But if somebody else wants to worship on Sunday... Uh, I'm thrilled if anybody worships any day of the week and gives Jesus the glory. So I'm content with that. You want to add to that, Jeff? Yeah, you know, we know that the Sabbath for the Jews was part of the law. That was part of the command. They were to observe all the laws. I fall on the, when Paul says some think of special days, others think of all the days the same. I tend to fall on the all days the same side. Because in Hebrews, it actually says this line. It's really cool. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest. For the people of God, for Israel, if they would believe, for those who believe in Christ, there remains this Sabbath rest. I think the picture is, is that when we believe in Christ, we now rest from our own work. We have entered the Sabbath rest of God. Now, really, for a New Testament believer, every day is a Sabbath for us. Not just one day a week, but every single day. So the Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That is, by definition, the seventh day, and it is the Sabbath. I think Christians began to worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, not moving the Sabbath over. I don't think that's the picture. I think they began to meet on the first day of the week, as it says in Acts, because that was Resurrection Day. And that's why they started meeting on the first day of the week. All right, we're going to take a little break. You're listening to Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. We are live today in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church and loving every minute of it. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, we are live today in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church, and it is a beautiful church, a fantastic place. It's a gorgeous day. We are just having as much fun as we can have. We love Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and we love your questions, so thank you for sending them over 877-933-2484. My panel today is Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. <laughs> Should be no mistaking that one, Jeff. Yeah, Reed. What do you think, yeah, Reed? Did that work? He's got it, yep. Okay, like good. It. Good job. Good. All right, here's a question. Uh, can you explain 1 John 3, verse 20? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Does this mean if we feel condemned, even after we've surrendered our hearts to Jesus, we will still be saved? Well, we will still be saved. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of assurance of salvation is a huge issue. It's one of the most common questions that I get in my classes that I teach is, can we know that we're saved? Can we have true assurance of salvation? And over and over and over, the New Testament declares that once you are saved, you get the Holy Spirit and he will be with you for how long? Forever. Having believed you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, 
guaranteeing your inheritance. Your faith is kept in heaven for you, shielded by God's power until that day. Um, There's many, many places in Scripture where this whole idea that once you're born again, once you're justified, once you receive the gift of eternal life, you have it forever. Uh, And so many places this salvation that we have in Christ is so unconditionally defined for us that I actually have little ESs all over my New Testament. Eternally secure, eternally secure, eternally secure. Because that topic comes up over and over again. And the ultimate one, by the way, is... 1 John 5, which is two chapters after this, which basically says, I write these things to those of you who believe that you may know know that you have eternal life. I like it. If you uh, think about it for a moment, I don't know about your church. Last Sunday, uh, as part of a series we're doing, I talked about the 59 one another passages in the New Testament. And I'm sure you have those memorized, you know, and, and they're normally practiced in most churches. But it is, I'm, I'm laughing at myself because, I mean, we, my church, yeah, they're, they're, what are those anyway? The bottom line is we are told over and over to, to love one another. I think that's 16 times. To serve one another, to uh, confront one another in the proper sense or beseech one another. What we miss is this. When you receive Jesus, you know, you have salvation, but you are now the devil's biggest target. Not to take your strip of your salvation, but to take away your effectiveness. Because you don't want anybody else getting into heaven. And so I have sat with Christian after Christian after Christian. And they have told me about how their life isn't what they thought it was going to be and all this and that. And then I say to them, okay, Chuck, I'll see Chuck out there. Okay, Chuck, tell me, what are the voices telling you at night when you go to bed? And I have had people pause and look at me like, how did you know that? You know, well, after doing this for 40 years, you kind of figure this out. Because the demons are very effective at saying, Chuck, you're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. You think Jesus really loves you the way you've treated, you know, Susie? Come on, wake up, buddy. It's not going to work that way. And people then get so depressed within, they become ineffective. It's not a salvation issue. It's an effectiveness issue. And the one and other passages are there so that we can help build one another up and so I encourage you, you can find them on the internet, just put in 59, one another passage in the New Testament. We should be doing that with one another all the time, encouraging, talking, supporting, challenging. What's, what's, can we put a bow on this and bring it yeah. back to this verse? And it says, even if our hearts condemn us, what you were just talking about, what does it say? God is greater than our hearts. Yes. When those attacks come and those doubts arise, you fix on the promise of God that he is the one that holds you in his hands. He keeps you, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's the golf crowd. <laughs> really nice, really nice. Okay. <laughs> so uh, when you pray, gentlemen, do you pray with a real sense of expectancy? And you know God's hearing your prayer. You know God's storing your prayer in heaven. So you have your will, but you ultimately say, thy will be done. So how do you, how do you, how do you go to the Lord in prayer? Uh, that's a great question. Because we don't, we don't want to treat God like a vending machine, right? And we, we put a certain amount of faith in, and if we just believe enough, it's going to happen. I don't think that's how we approach God. Bill, I think in the question, you had the answer. When you say, 
not my will, but your will be done. So I don't know that I would use the word, uh, be, you know, expecting God to do what I am asking him to do. If I can pray and at the end of my prayer said, but not my will, but your be done, your will be done, I think I'm in a pretty safe spot. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think prayer, I think for a long time uh, as a pastor, I just prayed to get through each day. Uh, as you begin to work with a lot of people, you always have issues and problems. And I was talking to the Lord all the time, and I still saw people's lives falling apart. I still, you know, I buried four children in my ministry. I buried like three suicides. I've had two murders. You know, you get tired of this stuff after a while, and you say, Lord, what's going on here? When I was expecting the Lord to answer the prayer I wanted it from the beginning, that's where my mistake was. What it was is I'm now learning to go to prayer, and my wife has been teaching me this over all these years. I don't go with my expectation. I go with the fact that Jesus knows what he's doing. And I'm going to put the total confidence in you, Jesus, whether it works out the way I think it should or not. And once I learned to begin to do that, it took a burden off of me that I didn't need to be the savior for people. My job is to give people invitations and opportunities before the Lord. It's the Lord who's got to take care of it. So prayer for me has changed over the years, Bill, and it's, it's, it's not so much asking for something. I'm really asking when I pray, Lord, give me your mind. I don't even know how to pray about this. I, I, I'm not afraid to ask for anything. I mean, I ask the Lord for money for our church all the time, and we get money all the time, uh, not because I'm giving him a specific amount and he's figuring that out. I believe it's because it's already his will, and somehow I'm aligning with it. And so I keep praying and saying, I want your mind, and that's what happens. Yeah, outstanding. All right, that is our first hour of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We are live today in Madison, Wisconsin at Door Creek Church with an amazing uh, group of friends, and we are uh, looking for your questions, 877-933-2484. We'd love to hear from you. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break and be right back. Hour two, Guy Talk Live in Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.